Hello and welcome to NFL First and Goal, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league, spotlighting the game between the Patriots and the Jets with Tyrone Poole, the former Patriots quarterback. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Be sure to download Ian's podcast, Rap Sheet and Friends, right here on TuneIn. And let's start with injury news. The Bengals lost to the Browns, and they lost Andy Dalton in the process. What can you tell us about Dalton's thumb injury? Yeah, certainly not a good sign when you see uh, backup quarterbacks out there, even in the midst of a uh you know, a big deficit out, out there. And actually, um, they played pretty well considering. But as far as Andy Dalton goes, I am told x-rays were negative on his thumb. It is a right thumb. Uh, so obviously his throwing hand was injured. And it does sound like this is not going to be a long-term injury. So at the very least, that's a good news. No break, not long-term. But, you know, if this is a sprained throwing thumb, um, obviously that's pretty important. And, yeah, I mean, that's something that could keep him out uh, possibly – the next week and you know we'll see we'll see where it ends up but for the Bengals who are you know struggling and struggling just trying to get a win the prospect of having uh Driscoll out there is obviously not something that they're really looking forward to and then staying with the Bengals uh what's going on with uh AJ Green's toe it seemed like he was gonna try and give it a go but uh saw him on the sideline in civilian clothes yeah, you know, he was optimistic earlier in the week, told reporters he thought this was the week and then just was not able to get out there and practice. And, you know, you could sort of tell by Thursday and then by Friday he had kind of changed his tune. Uh, it does sound like he's got a really good chance to play this coming week. I would expect him out at practice. And, you know, if that's the case, and look, I mean, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. Obviously his difference you know, him being out there, the difference is immense. They need to make a run. They really, really do. Um, but I think there's a real chance that he's out there next week for Cincy, which is huge. We are chatting with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, Bruce Arians rocking the Kangol, shining in the broadcast booth for CBS. But he has been very candid about his interest in one job and one job only in Cleveland. Do you think the Browns have interest in Arians? I think they have some interest in Arians. You know, when he has, look, I mean, he was, he was a great coach. And I don't need to tell you he's a great coach. All you need to do is see the difference it's made without him in Arizona. Very similar personnel. Very, very, very different results out there. You know, and so uh, he's great. He's obviously older, but he's not, you know, not that old. Uh, Pete Carroll's older, I believe. Um, so certainly coming back would be possible. He did tell me uh, earlier this week that he wants the Browns job and would come out only for that job and that his wife is on board, which is something important, too. I get the sense he's a candidate for the Browns, but probably not like the top, top guy. The real question is, does he get an interview and what kind of a sell job does he do in that interview? Because he can be extremely charismatic and persuasive. Yeah, B- Baker Mayfield looked really good uh, today. I, I like to a-, a young quarterback having success over the middle of the football field is so difficult. So the playbook can be open. Uh, what, what did you think about Hugh Jackson on the other side today? And I'm not sure if you're. Uh, peeping it out on the television but they kept panning to him yeah so (laughs) what was the whole deal with with how you think he's feeling today knowing that the cleveland browns did what they did against the his his i'll I'll tell you what i saw was him 
go over to Baker Mayfield at the end of the game, go over to the 50-yard line, find Baker, try to give him a hug, and Baker kind of gave him a, uh, a, a, hey, hey, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Okay. It was like a kind of like a shake. I was like, oh, that's awkward. Why, <laughs> right, uh, for real? And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I talked uh, I talked to a couple of Browns people this week, and, you know, just trying to feel it out, like, hey, what do you think, you know, the impact of Hugh Jackson on the, on the sideline would be? And the answer was really simple. Nothing. I mean, really don't care. I was like, okay. <laughs> and it really literally made no impact. It's incredible that Hugh Jackson changes sides. Uh, couldn't get the Browns going when he was their coach. Couldn't stop him when he wasn't. It's incredible. And now Cleveland has their first road victory in quite some time, snapping a 25-game road losing streak. Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, let's go back to Thanksgiving. Chase Daniel looked very good, guiding Chicago to a win over Detroit. Do the Bears expect Mitchell Trubisky to come back from the shoulder injury next week when they play the Giants? I would say... They hope so, but no one has told me that it's definitely happening. Like, you know, we all, sometimes there are information that are not publicly available, and we didn't know until, at least I didn't know until probably Wednesday morning that Trubisky wasn't going to start Thanksgiving. The Bears knew Monday. So, you know, obviously it wasn't close last week. Uh, I was told if it was a Sunday game, he would have had a shot to play, but he might not have also. Um, so I think they, they hope he's out there. But no one has said it's definitely happening. But honestly, like, their defense is so good, they can run the ball. Chase Daniel is a totally adequate, more than adequate backup. Um, I don't think they rush him out there at all. Like, why, you know, why would they? This is a team now, unbelievably, that might go to the playoffs. Uh, they need to protect their guy. Now, I have questions about all kind of teams uh, in the league, but the two teams I really have questions about coming into the day was the Seahawks. Who are they? And the Patriots. I mean, you know, they had opportunistic plays today for the Patriots, but again, offensively, Gronk's in. They look like this. He's out. They don't look very well. What are these two teams? What are we expecting from these two teams here in week 12, 13, and 14 from the Patriots and the Seahawks? I just don't understand. The Seahawks were supposed to be rebuilding. Like, I haven't heard of half of their players. I mean, now I have, but before the season I hadn't. So how in the world is this possible? How do they get rid of all their big-name guys, shed all the salary, and lose someone like Tom Cable, who's supposed to be a really good offensive line coach, change over their whole staff, and they're better? It's unbelievable. I mean, they run the ball so well that it's like that handles everything, and that is really impressive. So I think the Seahawks, I don't know if they're a playoff team, but, man, they are headed in the right direction. That, I think, is really fascinating. I don't understand how they did it so quick, um, but it's been incredible to watch. As far as the Patriots, it's weird because I thought the Jets played well today. They played well, and they lost by 14. Gronk looked okay, didn't really run away from everyone, but is still Gronk and was still productive, probably as productive as you know any tight end. So are the Patriots good or not? Uh, and I don't really know. It's just, I don't know about the Patriots. It's really interesting. <laughs> On their way to winning the division for the 10th consecutive year. Ian, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the information. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. All right. Thanks, guys. This is NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's focus on the matchup between the Patriots and the Jets with two-time Super Bowl champion Tyrone Poole, the former Patriots cornerback.
Now let's take you round the league with a two-time Super Bowl champion. It's Tyrone Poole, the former Patriots quarterback. Tyrone, thanks so much for taking the time. As you watch the Patriots win today, beating the Jets 27-13, not a lot of style points, but they'll take the victory. What stood out to you? Well, thank you, Brian, uh, for uh, having me on the show. Um, Eric, I'm pretty sure he'll come on in a few. want to thank him as well. But uh, my take is a win is a win. Uh, you know, I know it's uh, old as peanut butter and jelly, uh, sliced bread, but a win is a win, and they're hard to come by in the NFL. So anytime you get a win, whether you blow them out or you win by one point, at this point of the season, every win is very crucial. That's right about that. It's all about the wins. Uh, good to hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And when you talk about the Patriots, and we kind of have this idea of each week they kind of change depending on their opponent. They they continue to build as the season progress. Talk to us a little bit about what's going to happen if every other week maybe there's going to be an injury to Gronkowski or the defensive backfield is not showing up. How do they continue to develop their team into a championship caliber team if, you know, Gronk is not there on offense and they continue to give up kind of chunk plays on on defense well there there are three should i say six letters that i would describe the patriots with and any other team that wins championships um and they're broken down by twos so the first one is iq the next one is eq and the last one which makes all the difference is aq now iq is the intelligence now the patriots are always going to be intelligent they're always going to know what the opponent is doing and what their strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, the other thing that you'll see is the EQ, the emotional quotient. So you got the IQ, the intelligent quotient, the EQ, the emotional quotient. You want to see them stay calm. They're going to always know that they're in the game. Uh, we've seen this time in and time out. Uh, but the last one, which is the greatest one that I think the Patriots do a great job of, 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 of accomplishing, um, is the AQ, which is adjustability quotient, adversity quotient. They are great at making uh, adjustments when someone goes down, someone steps up. Uh, for exa- example, Hogan, uh, the wide receiver, nobody knew of him. But the Patriots do a good job of making sure that the next man up understands what their role is. And I was glad to see Sony Michelle run the ball very well because if he can continue to run the ball and they can get a running game going, then that would take a lot of pressure off of Brady having to throw the ball a lot, uh, Gronk having to take a lot of hits. And I'm also looking forward to seeing how Josh Gordon uh, continues to grasp the offense because if he can present an outside threat, then that allows Julian Edelman to work the, the middle, which I think he's great at, at the slot. And it also gives Gronk an opportunity to work one-on-one with the linebackers. Defensively, I think with the rules, you know, it just has taken defense totally out of the game. And you just got to try to hold on, grab the horns of the bull, and hold on. <laughs> Spotlighting the team that plays in New England with Tyron Poole, the former Patriots quarterback. Tyron, I love the IQ, EQ, AQ. I'm going to steal that from you, but let's get into the X's and O's. You earned those rings playing at a high level defensively for the Patriots on defense. What do you think the state of the defense is this year? They're giving up a lot of yards as they have in recent seasons. Well, uh, 
the one thing that I was displeased with in this Jets game is the third down efficiency. Um, the Jets were uh, six out of 14, and that's 43%. Uh, if you're going to go into the playoff, anybody, Eric knows this, they tell us on defense, there are two things that really I look at that really determines a great defense. It's your ability to get off the field on third down and the points that you allow. All the other stats really don't mean nothing to me. It's third down and how many points you allow. And right now, that third down, when you get into the playoffs and you can't stop a team and they convert offensively, your defense is going to get worn down. I don't care if you got the 80, 85 Bears out there. Um, <laughs> they will get worn down. So the third down conversions, I, I was very displeased with that. Mm. All right, defensively, who is the one guy that you would say – is the, is the emotional leader, the guy that they look to to make the play when it counts in the situational football, as we all talk about and hear about coming out of uh, New England? Who's the one guy on defense that we can expect during this journey uh, getting to later in the season who expects to make those big plays? Well, I think from the defensive line, you got to start with Flowers. Uh, you know, he has to be able to put the rush on. There are going to be times where the Patriots cannot blitz all the time. They have to sit back and play zone. Um, you can't run man-to-man the whole game. We both know this, Eric. I'm like, come on, we tapping our helmet. Come on, defensive coordinator, give us a little zone, let us recover. But you can't blitz all the time. So Flowers and uh, the, the front four, they have to be able to put pressure on quarterbacks uh, as the season goes. Uh, uh, then you look at uh, Patrick Chung. You look at the linebackers, uh, uh, Van Noy. You look at uh, McCourty. You know, these are guys that have been uh, in this system. You look at Hightower. You know, he's a playmaker. So, Gilmore, he had an interception today. I think it was his second one. But um, as the, 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 the playoffs come, the season progresses, you know, these guys are going to have to take their level of play up a notch and continue to make plays. Chatting with Tyrone Poole, the former Patriots quarterback. Tyrone, we've learned that you never question Tom Brady, but we're going to tell it like it is here on the NFL on TuneIn. He's okay. the greatest quarterback of all time, but do you really think he can keep playing at a high level when he's 45 years old? You, you know what? I'm answering that question with this because I think with technology, uh, even if you were not an athlete, I think with technology, you can go and do things to your body, injuries, or, or what have you, and, and science and equipment can bring you back within a week. Something that normally would take uh, six months, now with technology and medicine, you can come back in uh, uh, days, so to speak. So I'm pretty sure Tom has every piece of equipment known to man that keeps him in shape. So I say as long as he doesn't have a serious injury to his throwing shoulder or to his knees, Tom can probably play as long as he wants. So, um, you know, that is just real talk. I think science and equipment and just recovery uh, equipment makes it so easy for the body to recover, unlike, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Tyrone, we enjoyed the conversation. I rarely take notes during a interview, but I have written down on my pad. <laughs> IQ, EQ, AQ. I'm going to steal that from you. Is that okay? Hey, hey, all champions do it. Even you guys. When you guys are on the air, y'all got the IQ. <laughs> keep your emotions in check, and y'all always constantly make adjustments. It'll be an homage to you. Thank you, Tyrone. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. All right, Tyrone. All right, thank you, guys.
We continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the Eagles and Giants with Howard Eskin, sideline reporter for Sports Radio 94 WIP and the Eagles Radio Network. Now let's recap the Eagles. Come back, win over the Giants with a great friend of the program. It's the Dean of Philadelphia Sports, Howard Eskin, sideline reporter, Sports Radio 94, WIP and the Eagles Radio Network. Howard, I know you want to talk to Eric, so let me <laughs> just throw a question out and I'll get out of the way. Giants squandered a 19-3 lead in this game. Did the Eagles win it or did the Giants lose it? Okay, I'll say this. Eric wants to talk to me. <laughs> That's right. Get it Mr. Philadelphia, right. Howard Eskin. <laughs> All right, so to answer your question, Brian, the Eagles won it uh, because they played much better the second half. Because if you're going to use that kind of analogy, you could say, well, uh, the Eagles lost it by the fact that they, they fell behind 19-3 to in the first half. So you got to look at it both ways. They came back. They won it. Think about this. I've never – I can't remember. I I shouldn't say never. I can't remember a team getting total yardage of 346 yards. I think that's what the number was, the first half for the Giants. And then they were under 60 in the second half. Now, that's got to be some of the Eagles – whether it's adjustments, whether the guys played better. But I know the pass rush was better. So to answer your question with a little explanation there, I do think the Eagles won it because they had to go down there on that last drive and they had to put points up on the board and they did do that. Now, now how, how can an Eagle fan be encouraged? You're one game out, right? But you're 3-3 three and three at home, so there's really no home foot advantage, and we all know how, how great those fans are, and you've given up 253 points. So how can you go in and say, hey, you know, we are encouraged by what's happening overall, not just today, but overall, given those numbers I just gave you? Well, obviously with those numbers, you can't be encouraged, but what you are encouraged about, and you could see – the players after the game, when you lose, you're not real happy, especially when you lose the way that the Eagles have lost um, more than a few games this year. I think they had a three-game losing streak at home, so you're encouraged that they came back and won a game. Nobody in the division's that good, even the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are frauds, too, so, uh, so they're not that good either. But uh, Dak Prescott is not that good. The Redskins are the Eagles' next game. They're not that good. But you're encouraged because it's a game – and the, you can look at the numbers any way you want. If the Eagles had lost this game, they were done for any chance. And you're going to have to win the division to make the playoffs. But again, it's not a good division. But they were done because they have to win their division games to win at this point. To, and they can still lose. They play in Los Angeles against the Rams later in the year. They can still win the division. So it's it, the things that are encouraging is – I can't remember the last time the Eagles this year had a drive to win the game at the end of the game. I can't remember uh, the, the Eagles all of a sudden just shut a town, uh, shut down a team defensively the way they did the second half. And then the whiners, the Giants are whiners. Odell Beckham Jr. will never, ever be on a winning team because he, it's all about him. So he wasn't happy that he didn't get the ball the second half. 
you know, I don't know what the Cubs. Is, isn't was. that all? It, it, isn't that all good receivers though? I mean, I, I can remember you know Jerry complaining about not getting the ball, Chris Carter not complaining, uh, you know, complaining not getting the ball. I mean, they all. I mean, that that's one of the things that he is the all time whiner, <laughs> the all time whiner. You know, it was good defense on a play. It was a good nine call on yeah. the play in the end zone. Right, I saw it. He spends thirty seconds whining to the official. He's not a winning player. He's a really, really good player, but you can't win with players like that because you got to know when the Kenny Rogers term. You got to know when to hold him and when to fold him. And he's got to shut up sometimes, and he doesn't shut up. So uh, it's all it's all about him. But regardless of all that, the Eagles did a good job the second half. It's amazing how that game turned around. But the encouraging part. They came back from 19-3. to They scored a touchdown after uh, the Giants scored a touchdown. They go up 19-3, to and the Eagles came back and scored one uh, on the next drive. And they had a game-winning drive at the end of the game. And that's not something that we've seen a lot from the Eagles. They're not as good as last year. They're still not what I would call a really good team. They're just okay, and they've had a lot of bad moments. But this game, I'm not saying it's going to turn it around, but they play the Redskins next Monday, and the Redskins are are brutal. They're right. a brutal team right now. So, yeah, listen, if they win next week, then they would go into Dallas. So these are the kind of things that are set up, but they would not have been set up if they didn't have that last drive. Because I said sometime during the game, I said to one of the guys on the sidelines, I said, Whoever gets the ball last is going to win this game the way it seems to be going. And sure enough, and, but the Eagles still had to move down the field. And they used up about four minutes a clock or four and a half minutes a clock in doing so. So that's the positive that comes out of this game. They're still not there yet. There's still a lot of things. They still left plays on the field. Uh, but they did a lot more good things uh, in this game than they had been doing. Well, you were a soothsayer predicting how the game would turn out. We are recapping the Eagles' comeback win over the Giants with Howard Eskin, Sports Radio 94, WIP and the Eagles Radio Network. Howard, last one for me. Given all the injuries on defense, specifically in the secondary, how much confidence do you have that the Eagles can stop anybody the rest of the season? Well, that's interesting because they did the second half. I'm telling you, I guess three or four weeks ago, I wouldn't even know who most of those guys were in the secondary. <laughs> Bosby, LeBlanc, what's that, a wine? I mean, LeBlanc, uh, two Sullivans, uh, Shavon and Trey. It's just like, where did these guys, they're backups to backups, and they weren't even in the league. So uh, how can they stop anybody? They did it the second half. I don't know how they did it, but they, they did a better job. Uh, but they're going to get back uh, one of the players next week, maybe two of the players in the secondary next week. So they might get back two players. So that'll help a little bit. Uh, I don't know how, with the players they have, I wonder how they did it. So maybe they can do it again. But they're going to get two of their players back from injury with Sewell Douglas and Avante Maddox, who was actually played really well uh, as a rookie this year for the Eagles. So, and even Jalen Mills might come back. They might get three. They might get three back next week. I'll tell you the player that really did a nice job, uh, and it's the first time he played this year, Tim Jernigan. And that's what they missed. They missed a pass rush. And Tim Jernigan played a lot of snaps for the first time back since last year, since the Super Bowl. First time back, and he did a really nice job, and it created some pressure. And they, and when, when Eli, 
And Pat Shermer said, stop calling my quarterback Sheli. So when when he sees pressure, I told him I'd give him a weak immunity. I didn't call him that. I just he just said, stop calling him that. I said, like, you got a week. But as soon as he sees pressure, he doesn't want to fight through it. He's not going to move anywhere. He's going to go down. And the Eagles put some pretty good pressure on him in the second half. And I think Tim Jernigan really added something that they didn't have. Howard, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the insights. And I know Eric was thrilled to have a chance to ask you a question once more. That's right. And we have to rack ahead, that. Jimmy. We have to rack that because that is just great radio right there. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're the genius. I'm just, you know, I'm living in your world. I'm just passing through. No, no, You're no. You're the guy that could probably still, wait a minute, you could still play in this secondary. It's the backup to the backup to the backup. It doesn't matter how many years you were out of the league, you can come back and play. I hit too hard. You know that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that doesn't work anymore in the NFL. That's right. Howard, thanks so much. Happy holidays and hope to chat with you down the road on the NFL on TuneIn. Always a pleasure. Next on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's break down the divisional game between the Browns and Bengals with Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com. Now let's recap the Browns' victory over the Bengals, 35-20 in Cincinnati. Pleased to be joined by Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com. Jeff, let's start with the injury news from this game. Any word on the status of Andy Dalton moving forward? He had to leave the game with a thumb injury. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be anything definitive until tomorrow. He's going to see a hand specialist tomorrow and uh, go from there. So, you know, I think anything then, I think anything before that is speculation. Which of the which of the players have to to step up in the absence of AJ Green and uh, what's kind of going on with the the defense not playing well? Are you guys just going to outscore folks? Well, I think. Uh, that they tried to address that, uh, you know, a couple weeks back when they made Marvin the coordinator, the defensive coordinator. And uh, really, I don't, you know, I, <clears throat> I guess if you had, it's one of those deals, if you knew, if you had the answer, you would have, you know, you would have f- tried to figure it out by now because, uh, you know, uh, today I think the guys were saying they were a little bit uh, discouraged that uh, they, kind of the way they came out, you know. I, I think they, Mayfield uh, carved them up in the passing game, and I, I, I think they will probably, a little bit, you know, I think they expected more of the run from these guys. And, you know, you talk about stepping up. This team's been devastated by injuries. It's just not A.J. Green. Uh, you know, they're two starting linebackers, three backup defensive linemen. Um, you know, they've been pounded. So uh, I guess it's a case where, you know, they haven't played complimentary football. You know, they had a field goal block today. They missed an extra point uh, in the first, you know, uh, Ten minutes of the game, they had a, you know, they had a penalty on all three phases of the game. So, you know, it's uh, as they talk about after the game, it's a uh, kind of a group effort at this point. Jeff Hobson, Bengals dot com is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Jeff, from a national perspective, so much conversation this week about Hugh Jackson matching up with his old team. How big of a topic was that in the state of Ohio this weekend? Was Hugh available to the media postgame? Typically, assistant coaches don't talk too much. No, they no. Mom doesn't make him available after games. Uh, Hugh chose not to talk this week after he talked uh, last week when he took the job. Uh, but it was obviously clearly it was uh, it was the storyline of the uh, it was the storyline of the week, no question. 
this is one of the toughest divisions in all of football. It's physical. You have a pretty good quarterback play. With this loss to the Browns, when you start to look down at kind of what's going on in this division, where do you see the Bengals, the coaching staff, the quarterback? Are all those questions um, start to, to kind of pop up now that this loss uh, to the Browns today? Oh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think the quarterback's okay. But, yeah, sure, you got questions like that. I mean, yeah. I mean, in this division, those are weekly questions because it always seems to be, ups- you know, uh, it's kind of like the stock market. You know, it's going uh, <laughs> every week. It's it's up and down, you know. I mean, uh, Bengals, uh, uh, Dalton, Dalton Green had been to five straight playoffs in this division the last three years. It's been a real grind. Um, you've seen the balance of power shift. The one thing that always seems to stay constant with this division, it's who it's who runs the ball and who stops the run. Now today, the Browns, you know, they didn't they didn't they hardly ran the ball. Mayfield was terrific, uh, but uh, you know, they're, I think they came in fifth in the league in running. Baltimore is now Baltimore is now back in the swing of things. Well, yeah, you sure they've done it with the rookie quarterback, but you know they're back they're back in their deal where they're running the ball. So until the Bengals can get settled. On their trenches, you know they're going to be they're going to be at the back end of this shift of uh, balance. Hoping to get AJ Green back from the toe injury, and that could be a catalyst for a stretch run. Jeff, as we look ahead to next week and deeper into the month of December, I'm sure you're starting to crunch the playoff numbers. Do you think realistically Cincinnati might have to win out to have a real shot of the wild card? Well, sure. I mean, I don't know what happened today, uh, but uh, you know. What well, five teams came into this thing five and five? So really, you couldn't lose. I mean, you know, you've got to. Um, you probably are going to have to run the table. I would think, or come pretty close, or at least go four and one. Good thing for the Bengals is they finish up with. Uh, you know, it's on the road, but they do get last last call in Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Um, you know, but obviously they've got to. Uh, Philip uh, Rivers is waiting out there in L.A. What he was. Uh, he uh, hit 96% of his passes today. Uh, you know, look what Baker Mayfield did today. So, you know, they've got their work cut out for him, no question. Jeff, we know it was a long Sunday for you. We appreciate you taking the time to join us once more on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. As we continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's take you round the league with John Kuhn, the former fullback who played for the Saints, Packers, and the Steelers. Let's take you round the league with John Kuhn, the former fullback who won a pair of Super Bowl rings playing for the Saints, Packers, and Steelers. There's much to discuss. John, thanks for taking the time. Brian Weber, Eric Allen with you. Let's start with Pittsburgh. A week ago, they had a rally from a 16-0 deficit on the road in Jacksonville. They lose today in Denver. Do you have any doubts about the Steelers moving forward? No, I don't. I mean, those are two tough teams to have to travel to, and Jacksonville's not having the greatest season this year, but they've always seemed to have Pittsburgh's number historically, and it's always a tough game for them, especially down there in Jacksonville. So I credit Pittsburgh a lot for being able to tough that one out and finish that one with a victory. And then to go to Mile High Stadium back-to-back, that's a lot of travel difference. That's two incredible uh, environments, one of which is hot uh, weather that they're not used to playing down in Jacksonville, and then to fly out to Mile High Stadium and deal with the altitude. So so they're dealing physically with some things. Today, I mean, the Steelers played very um, 
good football, but they missed out on some of the keys. Uh, that, that fumble going in early in the first quarter, that obviously turned to uh, to hurt them later in the game. The rest of the turnovers, I think they had four turnovers, and, and you just that's not going to be winning football. But I see this more as an anomaly versus what the Steelers actually are. Wow, 56 times being through the ball today in uh, Connor, who had been having a great year, only 13 carries. What do we kind of, what do we gleam out of that uh, that's going to go forward for this football team? Well, I see that primarily being a game plan situation based off of who they played today. That Denver defense is a short tackling defense. And watching that game today, that's the first thing I noticed, is how they didn't really let anybody get out of their grasp ever. And uh, and then they load the box. They're not afraid to play man-on-man on the outside with Chris Harris and, and those other guys. So you could tell that was part of the game plan today was to get out there and try and get the quick passes out and make that an extension of the run game. Unfortunately, James Connor didn't really get off the ground except for the one play he tried to jump, and that ended up in a fumble. So I think he's going to be just fine going forward. This offensive line for the Pittsburgh is one of the top three in the league. So, I mean, they get back home next week. I think they'll correct everything and start moving forward. They still have everything out in front of them. they got to play um, the Patriots yet. And there's some tough games down the stretch, but there's five weeks left. The Steelers are still just all right. And looking ahead to next Sunday night, it is the Steelers hosting the Chargers in a game filled with playoff implications. John Kuhn is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. John, let's turn our attention to Sunday Night Football coming up in less than an hour. Green Bay and Minnesota. You know all about the Packers from your time in Green Bay. I'm sure on every radio interview you've been posed this question, so let me keep the trend going. What do you make of the reports? There's friction between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. Well, I, you know, anytime there's conflict, there's a chance to try and get better. And and uh, we used to always say when they would bring new guys in as, as you were a veteran, you know, competition only breeds more success. It only makes you uh, dig deeper and play harder and, and do some things. So I, if there is the conflict in there, which there seems to be, I mean, you see some of the mannerisms and you see some of the um, expressions going on on game day, and you, you pair them up with the reports, usually where there's smoke, there's fire. But I, 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 from the time I spent with those two guys, they, they're pretty well uh, grounded individuals and not going to get too full of themselves. So I believe that they probably, if they did have uh, some sort of argument, they, they've settled that and they've moved forward. Now, I also know that they both grind uh, on that axe pretty good. So I, I suspect that they're going to be pretty well prepared for this game tonight. And there's nothing better than ending controversy with a big division win. And this is a make or break game for the Packers. Don't, don't leave it to doubt. I mean, they can get in. Uh, by losing one more game. But I don't think this one is the one that they can lose because then they lose that tiebreaker with Minnesota. Yeah, you're 4-5-1 and one right now, third in in the north, and you have locker room issues. Can this all be addressed and still try and reach out and kind of repair all those relationships, right, and at the same time fighting for that wild card spot? How does that get done? Well, this is a real hang-in-the-balance type situation for the Packers right now because if you lose this game, things can go south in a real big hurry. If you win this game, you can use that momentum, you can drive forward, and wins and successes, they only make guys work harder, they only make guys work together more, and guys can come together, um, forget about their differences, and, and focus on the betterment of the good of the team. 
And I think that's what the Packers are going to do here. I, I think they, they come away with the victory here tonight. They're banged up on defense, but I, I think this is a chance for Aaron. They haven't won on the road yet this year. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things on the line that I think Aaron wants to, to put the rest. I think Coach Mike wants to put the rest. And I, I would expect to see the Packers' best foot forward uh, offensively for, for this season. Chatting with John Kuhn, the former fullback who shined for the Steelers, Packers, and the Saints. John, as we think about what is clicking for New Orleans, this team is virtually unstoppable. Won 10 straight, and they'll have a chance to keep it going. Short week on the road in Dallas on Thursday night. We know the Cowboys are playing much better football. When you take a step back and try to view the situation objectively connected to the Saints, do you see any flaws? I've heard some pundits say they might be a little bit weak in the secondary. Potentially a team like the Rams, who they've already beaten, could exploit them if they match up again in the postseason. Well, I think the biggest uh, enemy to the Saints right now might be themselves. This might uh, could they possibly get out of the routine that they are in? Could they possibly start believing some of the hype, reading some of the headlines, not um, sticking to that schedule that they've been on so diligently for the last ten weeks? And they, they're about as dominant as a team as we have seen on the road and at home the last few weeks. And I think if they get that home field advantage, that is a death sentence for the rest of the NFC. I think Sean keeps them on track. I don't believe that to be the case, but I don't see anywhere where you can match a team up with them and go through offense versus defense, special teams versus special teams, defense versus offense, and pencil that other team in for a win right now, especially if that game's played in the Superdome. Can you see anything getting in the way of Drew Brees not getting the MVP this year? I mean, he's just so talented, does an outstanding job of uh, just delivering the ball with great accuracy and timing. What is it, uh, if anything, that will keep him from getting that MVP? If they falter, and, and I just don't see that being the case. I mean, Drew has done such a great job this year of not just with the production that he's always had, the, the yards, the touchdowns, the great leadership, and also with the fact that he hasn't turned the ball over at all. Um, he hasn't taken sacks, and that's a credit to the entire offense, not just himself. But those are the things that go a long way. When you're not taking sacks on third down, uh, when you're making completions at 70%, and when you only have two interceptions for the year, those are numbers that you just can't argue with. Now you pair those with his normal production numbers, which easily 5,000 yards, probably 40-some touchdowns. I, I mean, especially if his team goes 15-1, and one, that's a pretty solid case. John, we know everything runs in cycles in the NFL. What do you think the outlook for the fullback position is? Do you think that's ever going to come back into vogue, or maybe it's gone the way of guys playing with neck rolls back in the day? You know, I don't know if the neck roll is going to come back. I mean, that one might be. <laughs> I missed the record. One, hey, remember Robert Newhouse just rocking that neck roll playing for Dallas? All of them, yes. They were, they were fantastic. And, but that, that, that's one that I think is going to stay retired is the neck roll. Fullbacks, uh, it's an interesting thing because right now all the fullbacks you see in the league, and there's about 22 of them, and I keep all the stats on them because I just have to follow them. Uh, they, they're multifaceted players right now. They're not going out there just beating their heads in the walls. The majority of these guys are really solid on special teams, really solid in the pass game, and still capable of that good, powerful lead block. I believe that's going to end up coming around again, that lead blocker, whether it's a fullback or a tight end, in the blocking back position because as we pass more and more in this league, there's going to be more and more of an emphasis of six-man boxes, spread offenses, 
and spread defenses are the next thing to follow. So in order to try and stay ahead of the curve, I believe the lead back is going to come back at some point in time and, uh, and be, be an arsenal and, uh, for somebody's offense. John, as we say goodbye, let's reiterate how many fullbacks are left. Sounds like an endangered species, and you're tracking just how many can still be a factor in the NFL. Yes, I'm counting them down, and every time somebody says something <laughs> negative about them, I'm reporting them to FEMA <laughs> trying, trying to them. I am so glad I asked you that question. You were the right guy to give me the answer I was looking for. John, we enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, guys. Take care. Let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by our good friends, Chuck Nice and Dr. Eric. Uh, fellas, we'll check in with you in a second. First, Buffalo defeated Jacksonville today in upstate New, upstate New York, and Josh Allen went deep for the Bills. Guys, take us through the play. Thanks a lot, Brian. I hope you had a wonderful turkey day. And, of course, two, three, and 17, two, three, and seven teams. Who would have thought they would have given us something to be excited about? Eric, take us through what happened. Well, Bill's rookie quarterback, Josh Allen, played his college ball at Wyoming, and that cowboy can sling it. Let's go to the physics of Allen's great pass. He had to release the ball quickly because the pocket collapsed and he was about to be clobbered. After cocking the ball, Allen accelerated the ball to 53.5 miles per hour in less than two-tenths of a second. That required an average force of 15 pounds and a peak force of about 30 pounds. Allen did what only elite athletes are capable of doing. During a very brief instant of his throwing motion, in which the ball's acceleration reached 16 Gs, Allen outputted energy at the rate of 1.5 kilowatts, better than a microwave oven. While Allen was about to show off his strong arm, Bill's rookie wide receiver Robert Foster was showing off his speed. He was initially lined up on the far left side of the line, but ran across the field to the Jacksonville 38-yard line to catch the ball two seconds after Allen released it. Foster's top speed went over 21 miles per hour. The ball was spinning at roughly 600 RPMs and landed in Foster's hands at 47.3 miles per hour. Nobody could catch Foster as he scored his first NFL touchdown. Chuck, this play was about a couple of rookies showing off a strong arm and fast legs. My goodness, I have heard of arm like a cannon, but never arm like a microwave. Uh, I got to tell you, if my arm was anything, it'd probably be an easy-bake oven, to be honest, Brian. (laughs) Now, Chuck, are we ready to put Josh Allen on the Mount Rushmore of Allens? Because I'm going to lead with the great Steve Allen, the original host of The Tonight Show. Very nice. Yes. And then, of course, I got to follow that up being a homer to the end, bleeding green like ever. I'm going to go with Eric Allen up on there as well. One of the best quarterbacks ever played the game. Okay? That's all I'm saying. Thank you, Chuck. So now I look like a jerk. I really appreciate it. I'm trying to placate the comedian, and you make me look even worse than I normally am. Fellas, enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. We'll chat with you next week. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.